All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we're talking about the impending re-signing of safety J.J. Wilcox, the lack of opt-outs for the Falcons, as well as what's going on with Vic Beasley with the Tennessee Titans. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. And you guys know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcfans and, of course, the host of this illustrious Lockdown Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. In today's episode, I am talking about the impending signing of safety, J.J. Wilcox, given that he worked out for the team Thursday and various reports indicate that he will be signing with the Falcons soon. Wilcox is with the team briefly, relatively speaking, for a couple of months last offseason. And we'll talk about sort of why the Falcons are signing him, what is going to be his role, and, and how does it affect the safety competition. Later on the, on the episode, we'll touch briefly on on the opt-outs and the fact that the Falcons had no opt-outs. And then we'll talk a little bit about how Vic Beasley, contrary to my expectations and and probably a lot of other people's expectations, when the official opt-out deadline passed on Thursday afternoon, was not among those people yet has yet to show up after nine days. I think we're up to at Titans training camp and my specific issue, you know, we'll talk a little bit about how if B. Beasley winds up voiding his contract in some way by not showing up, the Falcons will lose out on a comp pick. Uh, but it also speaks a little bit to a larger issue I have when it comes to how NFL teams approach things in that, you know, given how the Titans are in the dark about Beasley's whereabouts and what he's up to, that in my idealized world of how I think the NFL and NFL team should be run, that would never happen. And so we'll, we'll get into that conversation later on today's episode. But without further ado, let's get into our lead story, talking about the impending signing of J.J. Wilcox. Free agent safety J.J. Wilcox worked out for the Falcons on Thursday, and according to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, is expected to sign with the team once he clears COVID-19 testing protocols over the next few days. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution confirmed Pelissero's report. As you may recall, Wilcox signed with the Falcons during the offseason of 2019, but then tore his ACL on the opening day of training camp last summer. Wilcox was the Falcons intended backup to strong safety Keanu Neal last season, replacing Jordan Richards in that role with Sherrod Neesman moving to the backup free safety spot. Thanks to DeMonte Casey's move to the cornerback. However, that plan went awry after Wilcox's injury, which then led to the Falcons moving linebacker Kamal Ishmael to become Neil's backup at strong safety. And then when Neil went down with a season ending Achilles tear in week three of 2019, the Falcons struggled over the next month with Ishmael in that backup role before turning to Jamal Carter for a game before the Falcons ultimately settled on moving Casey back from cornerback to safety. And it did somewhat stabilize for things for their secondary in the second half of the 2019 season. The Falcons' safety depth has been arguably one of their bigger issues, preventing the Falcons' defense from reaching its heights over the past two seasons, thanks to injuries to players like Neal. But given that Neal is coming off two major injuries, an ACL tear in 2018 that caused him to miss 15 games, an Achilles tear in 2019 that caused him to miss 13 games, 
you would think that the Falcons would have been a lot more proactive addressing their strong safety depth this past offseason. But to be fair to the Falcons, they didn't necessarily ignore it outright. They did use a fourth-round draft selection in the 2020 draft on California safety Jalen Hawkins. But it's debatable if Hawkins is more of a late-round special teams contributor that the Falcons reached on in the middle rounds due to their limited number of draft picks and not necessarily a guy that you would want starting games right away should Neil get hurt. And it certainly didn't help Hawkins that he missed over a week of camp thanks to being put on the Falcons reserve COVID-19 list more than a week ago. Hawkins, however, was reactivated to the team's active roster after he cleared COVID-19 protocols yesterday. Carter himself, the other team's primary backup at strong safety, has also had a COVID-related setback as he was placed on the reserve list on July 29th. One could argue that their absences put both Hawkins and Carter behind and Wilcox is the cheapest option available for the Falcons to get someone quickly up to speed to fill in as they work those other guys to get back. Wilcox is certainly a big hitter that tends to be a little bit inconsistent in terms of his tackling and may have some limitations as far as his coverage, but he is experienced having started for the Dallas Cowboys at safety in 2014 and 2015. He spent four years with the Cowboys moving on to the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2017 split 2018 with the Indianapolis Colts and the New York jets before joining the Falcons in 2019. But that experience playing on a number of different teams does give Wilcox some scheme versatility, but it remains to be seen if the Falcons view Wilcox as a stopgap option given their currently thin situation at strong safety, or does he potentially become the front runner to become Neil's top backup in the hopes that he can solve the problem that has plagued the Falcons the last two seasons. So we're going to continue the conversation about the Falcons adding Wilcox, a brand new part of the Falcons roster, but on the note of adding new parts, if you're looking for the best and easiest place to find parts for your car or truck, you should head over to rockauto.com. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and easy to navigate so that you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose by brand specification and the prices that you prefer. And those prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why pay up to twice as much for the same parts. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in the, how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. So if you missed yesterday's episode of Lockdown Falcons, I did my reassessment of the Falcons 53-man roster projection that I initially made in early June. And now in light that the Falcons are adding Wilcox, it does shuffle things around a little bit. In that initial roster projection in June, as well as my reassessment, I still expect the Falcons to keep five safeties on their roster with Keanu Neal, Ricardo Allen, Demonte Casey being locks for three of those five spots. I think Jalen Hawkins, given that he was drafted in the fourth round, is close to a lock. It's exceedingly rare that teams cut fourth round picks in their first summer. It's not impossible, but it's it's unlikely. So that would mean between J.J. Wilcox, Jamal Carter, Sherrod Eastman, and Chris Cooper, potentially you're only having one of those guys making the team. So it does beg the question of whether Wilcox is being added to be a body, which I've already speculated may seem to be the case, or it's potentially his job to lose. Now, 11 and a half months ago, 
Wilcox was as close to a lock as you could make it. I would say that his chances of making last year's team were about the same as what Jalen Hawkins chances of making this year's team are. So one wonders if the injury or the last 11 and a half months and the changes and the developments and how the Falcons feel about some of the safeties already on their team versus some of the guys that they're adding to the team. Does that change their opinion of JJ Wilcox? Because, you know, again, 11 and a half months ago, he would have been a lock to make the team. So is he still a lock? I don't know. Uh, there's also a possibility the Falcons could plan to keep six safeties, at least at the outset of the season, particularly given that Jordan Miller is going to be suspended for the first three games. They could decide to keep 11 DBs on the team. And for the first three weeks, six of those DBs are safeties. And when Miller comes off a suspension in week four, then maybe they'll have six corners instead. And of course the corners I'm referring to the five that I think are pretty much locks to make the team are of course, uh, bleedy Ray Wilson, AJ Terrell, Kendall Sheffield, Isaiah Oliver, and now dark West Denard. And then I think Jordan Miller should be relatively safe. We'll, we'll see. Um, but I think he should be relatively safe as at least again, as safe as Jalen Hawkins is, uh, to make the team when he comes back from suspension, but we'll see how that goes. So maybe that's the Falcons plan. You know, 11 DBs would be an interesting choice, but you know, this year is going to be an interesting year. So we'll see how that goes. Now, continuing on developments this year, for those of you that missed it, you know, Thursday was the deadline for players who officially opt out of this upcoming season. And the Falcons fortunately had no opt outs. They were one of three teams along with the Steelers and and Chargers that had zero players opting out. The Patriots, as many of you know, had the most in the league with eight players opting out. I believe the official tally was 66 total players opting out. I believe 30 of them were along the offensive and defensive line. So a lot of the big uglies, the people that are widely considered to be relatively speaking, high risk due to obesity concerns, complicating uh, COVID-19 symptoms and issues. Uh, So clearly a lot of guys that were on the larger side, the heftier side were like, no, I'm good. I'll I'll pass. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a surprising number of wide receivers that also opted out. You wouldn't necessarily expect those guys to do so. No quarterbacks, which I don't think was a surprise at all. Just, you know, I think the, the peer pressure from being a quarterback in the NFL meant that you couldn't possibly opt out uh, without getting a lot of flack in that regard. Uh, we already saw guys like Stafford and, and Minshew test positive, obviously Danny Etling as well. I want to say that I saw that Stafford's was a false positive test, but I I could be wrong about that. But in terms of the players that did opt out, that will have an impact on this upcoming Falcon season. We're looking at, you know, a couple of guys on some opposing teams on the Falcon schedule this year, notably defensive tackle, Eddie Goldman for the bears opted out offensive tackle, Jawan James for the Broncos opted out. He's expected to be their starting right tackle. That also means that Jake Rogers, Potentially, I think Eli Wilkinson is the front runner there to replace James at right tackle. But Jake Rogers might wind up starting for the Broncos and at the very least might wind up being their swing tackle. And the reason I bring that up is if you listen to yesterday's episode, I talked about how the Falcons don't necessarily make great decisions with their offensive line evaluations and whatnot. And seeing Jake Rogers find some success in Denver, you know, now four years, five years after the Falcons drafted on him and cut him outright uh, that for summer didn't even keep him on the practice squad. If my recollection is right and just let him walk um, shows that, you know, maybe they didn't do a great job developing him, um, which will be something that we will talk about later on today's episode. But 
other notable opposing players that opted out wide receiver, Devin Funches for the Packers, who's expected to be their number two wide receiver opposite uh, Devonte Adams this year, opted out. Kansas city had two notable opt outs uh, guard Laurent Duvernay Tardif when they wind up signing Kalechi Semele to sort of fill his shoes at left guard and then running back Damian Williams, who was their main ball carrier last year, but was expected to split reps with their rookie first round pick Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, this upcoming season. And the last guy notably on the Falcons schedule that will not be playing is Minnesota defensive tackle, Michael Pierce, who was a big free agent signing for that team this offseason, potentially to replace Linville Joseph, which leaves a already diminished Vikings defensive line, even more diminished. And so maybe this is finally the year that the Falcons will be able to get over that Vikings hump, largely due to the fact that the Vikings may not be able to control the line of scrimmage as effectively as they have been in previous matchups uh, when they have faced the Falcons under Mike Zimmer over the last, you know, six, seven years. So we'll see how that goes. And we will wrap up today's episode by getting into a, bit of, I don't know if it's a rant, but not rant wouldn't be fair, but just me opining on the Vic Beasley situation and talking about the Vic Beasley situation, the potential loss of a compensatory pick for the Falcons, but that whole situation in Tennessee with Vic Beasley, basically no showing them sort of speaking to another issue that I have that is only quasi related specifically to Vic Beasley, but is emblematic of a larger issue that I have with the NFL. So we'll get into that coming up on today's episode. But before we get there, I want to let you guys know that I want to plug the Locked on Falcons podcast because Monday we're going to probably have a mailbag episode. So if you have questions and certainly if you have comments uh, that you want to provide any type of feedback, but certainly questions that you want answered on Monday's mailbag episode, of course, you can send them in via Twitter at Locked on Falcons, Facebook at Locked on Falcons, or via email at Locked on Falcons at mail.com. So uh, Vic Beasley did not opt out on Thursday as seemingly, uh, certainly my assessment, my thoughts were my expectations were that the reason why he was no showing the Titans because he was contemplating whether he was going to play football this year. He may still be contemplating that, but you know, as far as it affects the Falcons, the old joke is uh, Vic Beasley continues to uh, find ways to screw over the Falcons uh, because if he does not show up to the Titans and, at some point they decide to void his contract and try to recoup that money, which I understand they can do if he, after a certain point in time, if he decides not to show up, which maybe starting today, I don't know. Uh, I don't know exactly how that goes because holdouts are exceedingly rare in the NFL uh, at this point in time. Um, so you don't see stuff like that. And of course, Vic Beasley doesn't need to hold out because he's got a guaranteed contract this year, but that would mean that the Falcons, if, if for whatever reason, Vic Beasley's contract gets voided, uh, that would mean that the Falcons will not get a fifth round compensatory pick, which is what OverTheCap.com is currently projecting them to get due to Vic Beasley going to Tennessee. Right now, that is one of three compensatory picks that the Falcons are projected to get in the 2021 draft. They're also getting a six-round pick from Devontae Campbell going to Arizona and a six-round pick from Wes Schweitzer going to the Washington football team. So basically, my take on Vic Beasley is that he's being unprofessional. Uh, if he is not planning to opt out Titans general manager, John Robinson told the media a week ago, last Thursday that he had talked to Beasley and that he was planning on reporting soon. Um, the fact that it's been a week now, and at least based off of what the Titans have told their media, especially co head coach, Mike Vrabel, uh, on Wednesday that there have really been no updates and there's no 
indications of what Beasley is up to and when soon will be. Um, and that I think again, signals Beasley's unprofessionalism. I know this is certainly going to vindicate the many that over the last few years have complained about Vic Beasley's questionable commitment to football. Uh, but my stance is that if you believe that his commitment to football is the biggest and or only thing stopping Vic Beasley from being more successful with the Falcons, you know, I, I would say that you haven't been paying as much attention over the last five years, but that's an old argument. We won't go into that today, but really my take on the Beasley situation is more adjacent to Beasley. And, you know, the fact that the Titans are in the dark about this to me is indicative of a larger issue I have with how NFL teams run their thing, run, run, run themselves. And this is not meant to be an excuse for the Beasley. This is not meant to blame the Titans or anything. I'm just saying that this is emblematic of what I think is personally a problem in the NFL, where I think that if teams made more efforts to solve this, these issues, it would lead to more success. And I'll use an analogy. And if you're a teacher, um, and you hear this analogy and you may disagree with it, or you can confirm it or whatever the case, I will welcome your feedback on whether you agree with this take. So go ahead, email me at locked on Falcons at mail.com. But in this analogy, let's say you're a teacher and you have 25 students and your teaching method is adequate to allow 17 of those say 25 students to learn past your class and, and thrive or whatever you want to call it. But your teaching method isn't a one size fits all because not every student learns the same way. Everybody's brain's different. And there's eight students in your classroom that have the potential to get left by the wayside. And you may not necessarily decide to change your teaching method because there's the potential that you could alienate the 17 students that you could potentially get through to, but you might have to go above and beyond, so to speak, uh, to try to reach those remaining eight students. And maybe you don't reach them all, but if your extra efforts allow you to reach, say, five or six of those remaining students, then you certainly accomplish something. Now, for teachers, doing this is extremely difficult in the real world because, at least in the United States, teachers are overworked, they're underpaid. So ultimately, what you'll probably find in the education system in this country is that you'll find these young, idealistic teachers that are fresh out of grad school that believe that you can do this. But then once they get out into the real world and teach for long enough, they realize that they can't reach everyone and Given their limited resources, they have to somewhat be content with only making sure that they reach the 17 that do make it and those guys make it through. So I use this analogy because I think the NFL takes the same sort of approach that a quote unquote seasoned teacher would have when it comes to acquiring and developing talent on the roster. It's a sink or swim mentality and not necessarily to mix my metaphors, but it's basically analogous to, you know, being on a boat and deciding, okay, if you want to play for our football team, we're going to throw you overboard. And if you swim back, you can play. And if you don't, then, oh, well, we're just going to leave you floating in the ocean. But I think unlike teachers, NFL teams, I think why this doesn't work for me with NFL teams approach to this is they have relatively speaking, unlimited resources. And to me, the analogy for how it could potentially work in the NFL is like you have a classroom, you have one teacher, you have 25 students, but an NFL team has the budget to have three or four teaching assistants. And it's, you know, the main teacher may focus on the 17 that they can reach, but then it's up to those assistants to potentially do their best to scoop up as many of the remaining eight students to keep them up to speed. The notion that I've complained about before with NFL teams letting a lot of talent slip through the cracks with this sort of sweet sink or swim mentality. And it's related to my beef that the NFL doesn't have a developmental league. And so, again, in this classroom analogy, the NFL team would benefit from their students getting good grades. Right. It would make them a better football team. 
because in football, the better your students or slash players perform, the better your team is going to be. Or, you know, if you prefer, again, the, the sink or swim analogy better, it's like you're throwing a bunch of people overboard if you're an NFL team and the guys that swim back to your teams ultimately are going to develop at a high level. But in my eyes, for an NFL team, it's in your best interest to get as many people to swim back to the boat as you possibly can, because that's going to lead to you having potentially more talent and better talent than your competitors. And, you know, a developmental league in this case would be the equivalent of having another boat that's 500 yards behind your boat. That is basically its job is to save as many people that are out there floating or in this case drowning in the middle of the ocean that it can. And then it won't necessarily save everyone, but it might save enough of those guys. And those players will go on to become the Kurt Warners, the Brian Finnerins, the Brent Grimes, the Harvey Dahls, the Tyson Claybos that at least in NFL Europe in the past went on to future success. And that's sort of related to this. But in the case of Vic Beasley, I'm not, again, not saying that Vic Beasley needs to have his hand held. He's not, he's not necessarily needs to be the type of person that needs to have a life preserver thrown to him. The culture of the NFL is what it is. And Vic Beasley has been in the league for five plus years. It, you know, there's no real excuse for his lack of professionalism here. But what I'm talking about is more about, you know, the fact that the Titans are in the dark with what's going on with Vic Beasley. You know, Vrabel said on Wednesday, essentially, he'll be here when he'll be here, which is great from that sink or swim, that hyper professional approach. And we know, you know, it's all about everybody doing your job and showing up, clocking in, clocking out. Vrabel comes from New England. You know, that's the idealized embodiment of that hyper professional approach of, of do your job. So I get it. But what I'm saying is in the world where how I imagine how it should be done in the NFL when, when John Robinson says last Thursday, he'll be here soon. There's no way that Monday comes and goes and Vic Beasley's still a no show that if I'm in Rabel's shoes, that he doesn't know exactly what's going on with Vic Beasley to the point that on Wednesday he can say he'll be here when he'll be here. And I haven't been in contact with him, you know, getting back to the classroom analogy, you know, Rabel's the main teacher. And one of his students in this case, a student named Vic isn't coming to school anymore. Even if you're Rabel and you're delegating that stuff, you know, Vic's one of those eight students outside your main purview and you're delegating that stuff to a, a teacher assistant, you know, that teacher assistant should know what's going on with Vic. It doesn't mean that the teacher assistant is to blame for Vic Beasley skipping class in this analogy. Uh, you know, it's ultimately Vic's responsibility to show up to class, but it shouldn't be the case that they should be in the dark. No one, you know, no one in that organization or in this classroom analogy should be in the dark on what's going on with Vic if the quote unquote culture is right. And I think this is a larger issue at, at play that I think is that the NFL is kind of content to just reach the 17 students. And in the NFL, you're competing with other classrooms. Again, to continue this analogy, I hope you guys are following along with what I'm saying. It makes perfect sense to me, but maybe it doesn't make sense to you because I'm, I'm not you know, an eloquent orator, but like in this, now you're competing with other classrooms. And if the other classroom across the hall is getting, is reaching 18 students, then it's in your best interest to reach 19. You know what I'm saying? And, and so on and so forth. And I feel like, you know, what that manifests itself in actuality with the NFL to in the analogies, is that, you know, that means you're hitting on more of your draft picks. It's turning mid and late round draft picks into more starters. It's finding more gyms and undrafted free agents. It's having a higher hit rate in free agency. And I don't think the NFL's current approach of just basically the sink or swim mentality really does a great job of doing that. And I say all that, you know, obviously never having worked for an NFL team and probably never will, 
And so this is just sort of my thought process, having observed the NFL for many, many years from the sanctity of my couch. Uh, but it just feels like to me, again, I'm not blaming the Titans for Vic Beasley not showing up. As I said, it's not the teacher's fault. It's not the TA's fault that Vic Beasley is skipping class, is skipping schools, not the school's fault, uh, you know, et cetera, the continued analogy. But it's just to me, if you had a quote unquote culture that was more inclusive and more sort of willing to help people out, willing to give that helping hand, willing to throw that life preserver out in the middle of the ocean to prevent people from drowning. I don't think you would have situations like you have with Beasley where a quote unquote student is skipping class. And when I'm like, where's Vic today? You know, they've been absent for the last week of class and the teacher just looks at me like, I don't know. He'll be here when he'll be here. And I just think it's just emblematic of a larger issue that I have with the NFL. And I I just feel like, you know, given their relatively speaking, you know, billions of, 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 you know, infinite and billions of dollars and resources that they have, I think they would do a better job. You know, you, you guys have the potential, you know, maybe you can't reach all 25 guys, but you know, I think the, the current approach is you're only reaching 17 out of 25. And I feel like my approach, at least in my idealized version of the world, you know, maybe you can get to 22. That's what I think. But, uh, there you guys have it. Um, obviously that's just my own personal hill to die on. And ultimately we'll see what happens with you easy because obviously as Falcon fans may not be as invested in Vic Beasley showing up and being professional and good for the Titans, but we certainly are invested in maybe getting that fifth round pick. You know, we, we tend to scoff at fifth round picks, but you know, Ricardo Allen, Grady Jarrett, DeMonte Casey were all fifth round picks. Um, Richard Sherman was a fifth round pick. So you, you can find talent in the NFL in, in round five. So it would be certainly advantageous, particularly when you look at the Falcons and their tight cap situation, having as many draft picks as they possibly can have in 2021 would certainly be advantageous for this football team. So obviously we have an investment in Vic Beasley doing his job so that the Falcons can at least get that fifth round pick for him. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But again, as I said earlier, we, I will plan on having a mailbag on Monday. So by all means, send in any feedback that you have. Maybe you agree with that analogy that I just went through or you disagree strongly. I would welcome your feedback. So you can send that in via email at lockdownfalcons at mail.com or via Twitter at Falcon. I'm not Falcon. I mean, I am on Twitter at Falcons, but via Twitter at lockdown Falcons or via Facebook at lockdown Falcons. And I do plan on getting, reaching out to get some guests on next week. Cause I know you guys are tired of hearing me talk about stuff. So let's see if we can get some other people's outside opinions about the Falcons. So I'm feeling optimistic that we will get multiple guests on next week to come in and share their insights on what's going on in the NFL, what's going on with the Falcons, as well as potentially other topics. Um, So there you guys have it. I hope you guys have a, a fun weekend. You know, be safe out there. Wear your masks. You know, be responsible. Until then. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.